What's up, everybody? This is Mind Your Money, a show that highlights people and stories that will inspire you to get your money right. And today, I'm so excited to have Bernadette Joy on the show with me. We have been going back and forth trying to get this going, and I'm so glad I finally got her on the show. Welcome, Bernadette. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat. Yes, I am so excited to have you. I really, I want to like jump into so many things. I've been following you on Instagram forever. I think I started following you when you tagged me after FinCon, which is so long ago. It feels like now, right? It literally feels like a lifetime ago. And I started following you because I went to one of your um, sessions about, you know, starting your YouTube channel and you inspired me to like put myself out there. So I credit I credit a lot of things that happened to me with uh, you inspiring me. So thank you. Oh, I'm so glad you attended and that you got something good out of that. That session was so fun. It was like my first um, presentation live at FinCon. I was like so nervous and just getting everybody in that room. It was packed. I don't know if you it remember. Was packed. Like, I was like, once I started, I was like, I'm so nervous. Oh my goodness. Well, you did great. Really well. oh, you did great. You. And I, I literally went back to my hotel room that night and I, mm-hmm. um, like made my first YouTube video. Love that. Love that so much. I definitely had a great time connecting with everybody there. And um, I don't know that we, we didn't get a chance to like talk one-on-one. So I definitely want to give you a chance to just introduce yourself, let everybody know the work that you do and how they can, you know, learn more about the work that you're doing online now. Amazing. Well, thank you. So I am Bernadette Joy. I am the founder of Crush Your Money Goals. I am currently based between Asheville and Charlotte, North Carolina. And My story started off with me and my husband paying off $300,000 of debt in three years, including our house. And it has since evolved into us building our first million dollars of net worth this past year and really working towards financial freedom. And hopefully uh, what people take away from coming to my classes or joining me as a client or coming to one of my programs is the idea of how we have been taught about money. And I know you know this. Um, has been based on a very limited point of view and outdated mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so I'm finding ways to teach um, particularly women and BIPOC communities on how we can become financially independent, still have fun and do it in a way that feels really good to our core values. I love that. I love that, Bernadette. Like, I think more and more people are starting to demand financial content that does align with their core values. We're seeing that in in investing, right? Like with Mm -hmm. uh, all the different ESG investments that are starting to grow and ethical investing, like, and we're seeing that with like financial advisors, like I want a financial advisor who aligns with my values. And I want to make sure that they're not just telling me, you know, things that make sense for them, but that they consider my, what, you know, my lived experience, my values, what I care about and where I want my money to be funneling to where I want my money to contribute to. So I, I love that. And also just like shopping local, supporting black, black businesses, mm-hmm. sm- local businesses, small businesses, and thinking more about like, how do we spend our money? Because every time we spend a dollar, we're telling people what our values are with our money. So I I just love that. Yeah. I love that you make that such a core part of the work that you do. Yeah. And that's a big shift in how I first started to now. And I think that's evolved with my own financial journey in that, you know, the more freedom that I had to spend my money, the more I was like, do I want to be spending the things that I've been told to spend on? Or do I want to be spending on things that really matter to me? And what I think is super interesting, especially talking to women lately, and I'm sure you've come across this too, is that, you know, we always get these questions of like, well, where do I start on investing? And what, you know, Mm -hmm. how do, how do I start making my money work for me, quote unquote? And my first question is always like, well, what matters to you? 
Like yes. what even matters to you? And that's really where the work has to begin. And, and interestingly, a lot of people don't know how to answer that question. And it's not a knock mm-hmm. to people. It's just that we haven't really been taught to think that way about, you know, personal finance is indeed super personal. Exactly. And the first word in personal finance is personal. More people have been making that like a big thing. Like it is personal. It depends on you. What do you care about? You can't use my budget and expect it to work for you because I'm different from you. We're different. Everybody's so different. Mm -hmm. It's a great point. Um, All right. Well, I love to start the show with some juicy money questions because I just like to jump into like just to tackle and debunk like the shame around money. People don't want to talk about the bad stuff. They only want to show off the good stuff. But Mm -hmm. I like to start off with the bad stuff. Let's get throw the shame out the window. Let's do it. (laughs) What is your biggest money regret? A time that you spent money that you wish you could go back in time, take it all back and not spend money that way. Oh my gosh, there's so many. I will say this. So I'm 36 now and in my 20s, so I was living in New York City. I was doing that corporate life, working crazy hours and stuff. I actually tried to calculate how much money I spent buying rounds of tequila shots. And I'm pretty sure I would have had enough for like a down payment on a house. (laughs) Like, like (laughs) I, and you know, aside from the fact that I shouldn't have been like, you know, drinking that much tequila, but Aside from that, the, the real thing that kind of pinches, like pinches my nerves about that is that I was just spending so much money trying to impress people yes. back then. Like I really, really cared so much about what other people thought about me and like, oh, let me show, you know, like I got a good job. I got, mm-hmm. you know, I got my stuff together so yep. I can like afford to like just throw money, literally throw money out the window. And now I go back and I'm like, I don't even talk to half of those people anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, and really the people who have stuck by me over the years have been the ones that I could just sit and have a conversation, take a walk with, like, you know, sit on their couch for hours and just chat. I didn't need to be spending all that money trying to impress other people. So that's, that's probably my biggest that is so true and I I love like I think it happened in my 30s I'm a little younger than you I'm 31 but I feel like in like hitting 29 30 31 these are the years where I feel like the biggest person that I want to impress the most is me and I'm like I wish I had this confidence and this mentality when I was you know 22 when I was 19 when I was 24 because I was out here just like you said trying to impress everybody around me trying to live a certain way trying to show off on social media and now I'm like, all those things literally mean nothing to me. They don't matter to me because I need to impress me. I need to be impressed with my spending. I need mm-hmm. to be impressed with my investing. If I'm not impressed, I don't care who else is impressed, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I finally got to that place with myself. And I'm just like, I feel like it just comes with maturing and you know making all the mistakes and getting all those regrets out the way so that you can get to the good stuff and get to the point where you're really proud of who you are. I 100% agree with that. And uh, a lot of people, I'm sure people assume this about you and they assume it about me too. Is like, oh, she must be really good with money because she's like never really made mistakes before. Like, no, I made so many mistakes. That's how I became good with money is because I learned, some of it I learned the hard way and some of it I learned from, you know, observing other people and figuring out, okay, like what can I prevent from doing down the road? But a lot of this is trial by error. So a lot of people have shame around stuff that they've done in the past. And people look at me now and they're like, oh, she's super responsible. Like if you had met me in my twenties, I was so dumb. Like <laughs> I was just making a lot of crazy mistakes <laughs> money and life-wise. So, you know, it's never too late to, to learn new things, right? Exactly. I feel like that, con- like we have to constantly be trying to learn more because life is, people say, oh, life is so short. No, life is so long. You have to <laughs> time 
to learn. Like, I don't know why people say that. It's like, listen, you got time and you should be mm-hmm. constantly being curious, constantly learning more. Um, but I totally agree with you about like learning from other people's mistakes has helped me so much and finally getting to a point where I'm comfortable. But that didn't take, that, took, that wasn't overnight. It took me mm-hmm. years and years to finally be comfortable. Um, so what about on the flip side? You said you had a purchase that was your biggest regret. What about a time where you made a big purchase? Maybe other people might think like, oh my gosh, Brenda, that is crazy. I can't believe she spent her money that way. But you are like really proud of it. Even to this point, you're like, I don't care. I know it was a lot of money, but I am proud. I would spend that money that same way again because it was worth it for me. Yeah, yeah. So I will say in the last year or so, So I really went full-time into my business. Like I was doing it on the side for the last four years, but I went full-time into the business in 2020, not knowing what was going to happen world-wise. And last year I spent more money just investing in my own knowledge, coaching, um, uh, other educational programs. And a lot of people were like, it's the pandemic. Like, shouldn't you be tightened up on that stuff? Like, shouldn't you be, and a lot of first time entrepreneurs too will like try to get, you know, DIY everything, mm-hmm. but I really actively sought out uh, other experts and people who could help me grow myself and my business. And I spent, I, I looked at it, I think I spent like 20 grand on like mm-hmm. different people, part of my team, you know, like my tax people and my business coach and my operations person, all that stuff. And that's not something that's usual for like a first time, like, you know, uh, like someone going into their business for the the first first time. time. And so a lot of people like, again, assumed that, oh, well, she must have a lot of money. And so that's why, you know, she's spending less money now. And it was like, no, it was just like anything else to me. It was an investment. I was looking for ways that I was going to get that money back. And I didn't think I was going to be able to do that just by trying to like DIY everything on my own. That's right. I actually recently just saw um, a post on social media on Instagram that it hit me. I was like, oh my goodness. I think I even saved it because I was like, I got to remind myself of this. And it was like, you will never become a millionaire on your own. You will only become a millionaire with a team. Yes. And I was just like, oh my goodness. It just pushed me to think about what are all the aspects of the work that I'm doing and trying to grow must be helpful or trying to grow like my own passions. And how I think me by myself, how in the world can I get all this stuff done alone and grow it to be like that by myself with no help? It's, it's not possible. Mm-hmm. There's so much that needs to get done. You need to grow a team. You need to build a team so that you have all of the elements tackled and you're not driving yourself crazy or working yourself to the bone and then burning yourself out and not giving yourself the chance to actually create something that you feel bad, passionate about and that you feel joy about because you're you know, you're burnt out from it instead of doing it the right way, building a team out and having it grow, you know, the right way. Yes. So I definitely, I, I see, I agree with you that there's value in investing large amounts of money up front. If you know that what you're going to do is strategically try to get that money back by putting, you know, putting in that investment, but knowing you're going to get the return on that investment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that requires being really discerning, right? On who you bring on your team, right? Mm-hmm. There's, you know, there's a lot of people who are like, I'm an expert in this X, Y, or Z. And I'm always, and you know, my number one thing that I always tell people, just ask for the receipts, just ask yes. for the receipts. Don't be afraid. And that's especially for like, financial advisors like I can't tell you how many clients that come to me when they've already had a financial advisor and I'm like why aren't you having this conversation with them and Mm -hmm. it turns out that they you know they didn't ask for the receipts um and they're being kind of you know told very generic things that even if someone was you know successful in one way that might not be your you know measure of success right so that's right for me as an example like when I hired my first financial advisor he kept saying to me he's like I don't have any you know he's like 
your questions are so unique. I don't have any clients like you. I've, I've never met someone like, you know, I was like, I actually don't want someone where I'm the exception, you know, like I, you know, that maybe that sounds nice to some people of like, wow, you're really special. And I'm like, no, that's, that's telling me that you haven't worked with someone like me before. And that's so maybe right. you need to find somebody who like more resonates with my experience. Boom. That, and it's so funny because another client would have been like, wow, oh, that's a compliment. Like I'm a great client. And you <laughs> listened, you read between the lines and you're like, that's a red flag. Yeah. That's a red mm-hmm. flag, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's incredible. And, and we have to be like that. We have to have that critical eye when we're talking about our money and who we're giving our money to, where we're putting our money towards. Because at the end of the day, you know, it's so easy to waste the money. And it's so, mm-hmm. you know, it's such, a, it's such a quick thing to do versus if you just slow down a little bit and think more about that process, it, what, it, you know, it doesn't have to become a money regret because you really took the time up front to make sure it was what you wanted it to be. I love that. I absolutely yeah. love that. All right, I am gonna move on to how you got into personal finance because I feel like you're at this point where you have this business, you're so successful, you're able to invest a amount of money in it, and you have the confidence that you're gonna make that money back. But you, as you said, you were a hot mess once. So how did you get to? <laughs> we all were, right? At some point, a hot mess with money. Yeah. So how did you go from like being a hot mess to getting it together and then making that decision to say, well, I don't want to just help the people in my family and my friend group. I want to create a, a, a team and create a business that really helps the larger masses. Yeah. So the Cliff Notes version is in 2016, I graduated from my MBA program thinking that like I was going to go back to get an MBA in order to go back to corporate. And it turns out I really had a strong interest in entrepreneurship. So I had a different business when I first started. It was a business called Dress. It was like a local rut the runway in North Carolina. And I did that business for three years. And what I figured out was that the parts of the business that I really loved were helping women feel really confident, helping them save money and finding creative ways to, again, still enjoy your life, but not have to break the bank for it. And all the parts I didn't like were like the retail related stuff. Like I was like, I'm actually not that into fashion anymore. I think it's like not a sustainable you know, Mm -hmm. business, like that kind of thing. And so I started shifting over into personal finance because I started sharing with people in order for me to quit my day job and run that business. My husband and I paid off my um, $72,000 from the MBA in less than a year. And people kept asking me, how did I do that? How did I do that? And so Mm -hmm. I ended up going to my husband one day and saying, you know what, people keep asking me the same question and I feel like I should just record it so that, you know, I don't have to repeat myself. Yeah. And then he was like, he was like, you know, that's called a podcast, right? I was like, oh, that's what that is, right? So I started, that's how it started. I started out with a podcast that was intended to just be literally the 10 episodes of like, here is how I paid off my student loans because you keep asking me. But then it evolved into, you know, TV segments and then um, being asked to write like guest articles and then started, you know, doing my, my business and consulting with people one-on-one. But what I figured out is that, when I was trying to be for everybody, like Mm -hmm. my business didn't move. But Mm -hmm. once I started really focusing on the people that I particularly wanted to serve, and essentially it was, uh, you know, people who are often ignored by traditional financial services. I felt that when I was, you know, looking for help. Um, That's when I started seeing some steam of the more that I shared my personal story, the more that people were reaching out to me and asking for help in a way that was personal. And and so I've gone down the route of doing like very like specific and like one-on-one kind of um, coaching. And that to me is also very aligned with myself as an introvert, which is counterintuitive. A lot of people see me on 
the media stuff and they're like, oh, she's like so outgoing. I'm like, no, yeah. actually I'm a strong introvert. So I, I found a, I, I think I just found my, my way in the past six months of like, what is a good business model for me? And it's finding a very core group of clients that I build really deep relationships with. And so I've really enjoyed it. I love that. That's great. And then it allows you to, you know, operate in a way that serves you best and not, you know, waste all the energy that you have because you're constantly, you know, doing all the things with people that just kind of drain your energy. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And last year, you know, I, I, I used 2020 as a test year. So when going back to your question of like, how did I kind of go from hot mess? I think I'm still a hot mess, but just a more contained hot mess where I'm always, you know, experimenting, but 2020 while things were, you know, going crazy with like yeah. everything in the world, I took a t- step back to figure out, you know, what are the problems that people are really looking to solve? And right. Yes, there's, there's definitely, you know, the obvious things with like finances, like, oh, people don't have an emergency funds and they have a ton of debt and they don't know how to invest and all that stuff. But at the mm-hmm. core of what I figured out was kind of the red thread that came through all of that was that people just didn't want to be stressed out about money anymore. And like, if I could figure out the psychological aspect of this, I was like, that's the part that really excites me and interests me. And so um, just leaning into that and learning more, I, I've actually spent more time in the last year studying psychology more than money and Mm. that's actually really served me well um with my clients I think I love that I love that and everybody's talking about uh, Morgan Housel's book The Psychology of Money behavioral Mm -hmm. finance is growing more and more neuroeconomics people are becoming way more um you know interested in the psychology behind the finances the psychology behind our decisions and behaviors with money so it makes sense to really invest some time in in exploring that because that's you can't ignore that you can't sit here and tips and tricks and strategies and financial statements and here's a spreadsheet like okay there's only but so much of that that you can really do before you start hitting that barrier of like well your brain is getting in the way though so if we don't if we don't address that brain doesn't matter how many spreadsheets that you have doesn't matter how many beautiful budgets are laid out for you the brain has to get addressed Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'll tell you an interesting thing that I learned that really set me on this path of this. I, uh, I went to a seminar and the person who was teaching was like doing a like neuroscience, uh, mm-hmm. was more of a neuroscience person. And they did a study where um, they, you know, tested um, men and women on just like, pre- like pretending to do investing. So they could literally like have them go on to like a brokerage, a fake brokerage account and just like pick different investments. And they, and then, you know, they like, I imagine, I don't know, but they, they had like little nodes on their brain to see like kind of what lights up. And the study showed that when men made investments that the reward part of the brain lit up, but when women made investments, it was the risk part that lit up. And Mm. it was, and it's like, and it makes you think it's like, well, our, our brains aren't like wired like that to begin with right so there's definitely some some obvious like learning that happened between men and women in terms of reward and risk and so that got me on the train of thinking like we're just as capable right and there's all the studies that show that women are great investors inherently but what's holding a lot of people back is the fear part of it and that's like you know that like you said it has to be addressed even before all the tools and resources come in Yes, 100%, 100%, because we're socialized to believe, you know, that when you do certain things, you're taking certain risks, and you're not taught the other side of it. I mean, I was growing up, I always thought the stock market was just, you're going to lose your money, the stock market's <laughs> going to crash, you're going to lose your money. I'm, mm-hmm. I had never explored how it even works. But I already had this fixed mindset about it. Like, oh, no, no, if I put money in there, I'm going to lose it. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's so interesting the way that, you know, we're socialized and especially how that aligns with gender norms and how we're told to like, you know, women are supposed to be like this and girls are supposed to be like this and men are supposed to be like that and boys are supposed to be like that. And so it's it's great. Like now I think that we're having a national conversation about breaking a lot of those taboos and starting to say, mm, actually, the research shows that women are actually better investors and women are actually much more risk aware because mm-hmm. we assume we're all risk averse, but actually there's research that shows we're just risk aware. And mm-hmm. so now it's how do we handle that awareness of risk in the best possible way so that it doesn't hold us back and it actually allows us to really take advantage of investment opportunities that have good p- potential for return on investment. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I love, uh, you know, I love that you're saying that, you know, that we're not risk averse, we're just risk aware. And, but most, a lot, and this, I actually told this to my clients last night on a call was, you know, a lot of people assume that I've been able to do the things that I've done because I'm not afraid. And that's just not true. I am actually probably afraid a lot of the time. I just go ahead anyway, you know, and that's just, that's just the, the difference is that it's, the fear isn't telling you that something's wrong. The fear is telling you that you're about to do something that's just very different from what you normally do. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Exactly. It's just like, I mean, a kid, teaching kid, I was teaching, watching my uh, sister teach her daughter how to roller skate. And it's not like all of a sudden she's not scared of roller skating anymore. She's still scared, but she's trying scared. She's roller skating while being scared of doing it, but she's still trying to do it because that's the only, the only way to actually learn to do it is to conquer that fear and say, all right, well, I'm not going to just stop being scared. So let me just do it scared. And then eventually I won't be scared because I'll understand how it works and I'll know how to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that that key, that key is the distinction of, it's not that I'm not scared, it's that I'm doing it scared anyway. And you have to do that a lot of times to jump in, even if we still feel a little bit of fear. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. So you mentioned a little bit about like telling clients about your personal story was a great way to bring them in and like get them to understand, you know, where you're coming from, connect with you, relate to you, and then really be able to be bought into working with you and having that personal connection. Can you share some of that with us? Tell us a little bit about your personal background and story, your upbringing. I always like to tell people, um, you know, think about like the earliest memories, the earliest money memories, and then kind of take us from there. Yeah, so I am first generation Filipino. I am one of I'm the eighth of nine kids for my dad. Um, oh my dad, gosh, I'm, I'm not. I am one of nine as well. Wow. Yeah, I'm the sixth of nine though. You're eighth. I'm sixth in line. Yes, and my dad was the oldest of nine. Um, wow. And I actually just learned about this, you know, recently. Um, and you know, my fam, I want to say a lot of my financial view was influenced by my father and he just passed away recently. And one of the things that I learned from, you know, kind of going back and looking at his life story was, um, you know, he always had kind of hangups with money. He, he, he was mm. the oldest of nine of a farmer and a stay at home, you know, mom in the middle of like rural farmland, the Philippines. Right. And I don't know that he ever you know, necessarily like quote unquote, uh, grew that even though he, my dad himself, he came to the US and became a CFO at a company one day. Um, But one of the things that I kind of learned growing up is that even though he did that for his job, he wasn't great with money personally. And again, it wasn't like a knock to him. It was, it was so much of the, you know, the social pressure and like wanting to like look good in front of other people and all of that. And so I just, you know, always remember like as a kid that, you know, he would give me allowance, but then, but like, there was never like, oh, spend it on what you want. It was like, it should be for X, Y, and Z. Uh, That was like very restrictive. And then, you know, when I, you know, went to college, 
um, one of the things that I hated my parents for, but I look back on now is that they only let me go to a college that I wouldn't have to take out any student loans for. Like all the wow. college that I wanted to go to, like I would have had to take out student loans, but I ended up going to a college where I got scholarship money and I could afford to leave college without those. And that was probably the single-handed biggest financial gift that my parents could give me. Um, So I started out college without any student loan debt and I went into fortune 100 companies like in HR. So here's, here's where like things started uh, kind of shifting for me from a money psychology perspective. So I was, um, I graduated in 2007 and I was in financial services in New York City in HR. In 2008. And then 2008, I was this like 20, this is where all the tequila shots came in, right? So I was like 22, 23 years old going around to different offices and just telling people like, you ain't got no job no more. Like, and I will never forget. I, uh, you know, I was sitting in this office in Ohio and there is this, this older man who's probably in his like late forties, maybe fifties. And he had been working for the company for 20 something years. And he said to me with like the straightest face ever, he was like, I've been working here for longer than you've probably been alive. Like, why do you have a job and I don't? Oh, right. And I was like, great question, sir. I don't know how to answer this. <laughs> like, I don't know how to answer this. And, but I remember thinking that day is like, I never want to be on the other side of this table, not knowing what my next move is going to be and relying on anybody for my own financial security, right? If this guy who was here for 20 years can just get laid off like that, who's to say that can't happen to me, right? So that's really where I started thinking about like, I need to, I, I need to be like more in control of my own finances. And then it wasn't really until I graduated from my MBA program that I, when I, I, I avoided the undergrad student loan debt and then I decided to get student loan debt in grad school that I, uh, you know, I realized that I was starting to follow a script that everybody else was following and it just wasn't yeah. working for me. It wasn't, I wasn't happy. I wasn't feeling fulfilled. And I also mm-hmm. just felt like I was doing what everyone else was doing. And, and that's when I started thinking I need to start acting and thinking differently about money. Love that. I love that. And it was, and it was, so interesting how you shared that, like watching somebody else's experience instead of saying, oof, that's not me. I'm so lucky. It's that could be me though. That could mm-hmm. be me. putting yourself in that person's shoes. That empathy is so important because that empathy is how you actually get past the like, oh, well, that's, you know, because of this person's decisions or choices or circumstance. No, it's not. It's, it, the circumstances could have happened to anybody. So I, I love that you said that that was your reflection in that experience because it could have easily been uh, the wrong reflection, but it seems like you really took away the right one from that. And then like, I could, that could have been me. I could have been losing my job and 20 years in and look what happened to him, you know, no different for me. And when I think about it in hindsight, I think the other aspect of it too, and this is where I have been pretty vocal when it comes to like diversity and stuff too, is like, really, I really had this thought back then. And I didn't realize it until, you know, now, like what, how relevant that was, was that somewhere inside me, I was thinking, well, this, like literally middle-aged white man got kind of screwed in the situation. So I'm like, I don't see a lot of people that look like me in my company. Mm. So like, literally I was the only Asian person. I was the only female, like, wow. you know, in that, in that particular office in the executive team. And I was the only one, you know, who was under the age of 40. So I was like, right. I'm pretty sure I'll be on the chopping block first. Like, right. it just, I don't see anyone else that looks like me who's, who's, who gets to stay. Right. So 
that's part of where I'm like, you know, there, there's a lot of things that beyond just the personal situation, there's like some systemic things that I've been thinking yep. about as well. Yeah. I love that. I love that, that, that was the, the nudge for you to really mm-hmm. consider that more deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually recently saw on Instagram, somebody tagged you in a post. I think you shared it in your stories too, which is where I saw it, but somebody was like, if you are a shopaholic, if you have a shopping addiction, and I was like, I used to, I, I personally used to be such a shopaholic and I had such a bad shopping addiction. And until I did what you did, which was to learn, tap into the psychology, I started learning about the psychology of money that changed my mindset. But before then, I was a shopping addict. I had a problem. <laughs> okay. Like Forever 21, H&M, Zara, yes. all of my money. And I'm so glad I got over my shopping addiction before Rihanna put out Fenty because I would have <laughs> given Rihanna all my money too, girl. I would have given her all my money. Oh my God, so funny. It's, yeah, but so I saw somebody post that, like, if you have a shopping addiction, you need to look into Bernadette's $1 rule. And I was like, all right, when I get her on my podcast, I'm going to ask her all about it. So tell us, what is your $1 rule and how did you um, come up with this to help shopaholics? Yeah, so the $1 rule is really simple and I bet a lot of people already do it inherently. And my rule is that if you're about to buy anything, particularly if it's like clothes, shoes, like household items and stuff like that, do a check to see if it would end up being a dollar per use. And if so, then maybe it's the, you know, the green light that you can go buy that, right? So what's interesting about that is that it doesn't necessarily mean that you buy all cheap stuff, right? If you are going to buy something and it's of like high quality and you're gonna get a lot of use out of it and it follows the dollar rule, then you can go buy that Louis Vuitton bag if that's what you want to buy, right? Like, um, so, you know, as an example, you know, actually this dress that I'm wearing right now, I think it was like $22. I literally stood in the store and I'm like, would I wear this dress 22 times? Mm. And, and even if I would wear it, will it last 22 washes? That's the other thing, because a lot of fast fashion, and I told you this about my first job, like my first business, like I figured out like a lot of clothing nowadays is just not made to last like right. more than a handful of washes. So even if something's like- They need you job, to come back. They need to keep you coming back and buy more. They need you to come back and buy more. And, you know, there's no money to be made of you just like, you know, having forever pieces all the time, right? So, you know, uh, whenever I, I buy, you know, clothing, I look at it and say like, is it is it quality enough that it'll last the amount of times it'll be a dollar per use? And is it something that I would wear, even if it's not like, let's say for years and years, but, you know, this dress, I bought it like, you know, six months ago and I've definitely worn it more than 22 times now because it's become part of my like weekly rotation. So for anyone who's like, oh, I don't like, you know, I'm trying to get out of debt. I'm trying to save money. So I shouldn't spend it all. I don't believe in just like completely cutting everything out because it's just not sustainable, but, you know, just being a little bit more intentional and smarter and the dollar rule is an easy way to, you know, like make that decision. And so I, um, and it's, and it's really pushed me away from, from fast fashion too. Cause I used to be a big lover of all those brands also, but yep. they just like, don't make the cut. That's right. Even if it's like five bucks, like sometimes I yep. bought shirts and they were like five or $6 and they you put them in the wash one time and they're done. Yes. One time all of a sudden the threads are coming apart and you're like, mm-hmm. what, what, what? I just bought this. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's not the quality that you would even be able to wash it two or three times. And mm-hmm. it's so true. I think I, especially in my twenties, I was so obsessed with that because I constantly wanted to be impressing other people which meant that I needed to be wearing new clothes all the time mm-hmm. so for me and that was part of it like back then it was like Facebook now it's Instagram and and, and TikTok and, and Snapchat right but it's always whatever it is of the of the current generation for me it was as soon as there was a party that it was over you go straight to your dorm room and post pictures right away on Facebook yep. so everybody can see what you wore see that you were there I was like 
who do I think I am, J-Lo? Like, <laughs> I literally got to a point I'm like, why do I need a new dress and a new pair of shoes for every appearance? I'm not a celebrity. Like, this is ridiculous how much money I spent on stupid, frivolous purchases just so that other people, so I could feel like I was imp- impressing other people. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, I was the same way also. And I, uh, that's actually how my first business dress got started was because I had enough dresses that I was able to start a business renting out my dresses to other Your people. Own clothes. Many, oh my God. I, I literally had, I, I kid you not, I had like 300 dresses or something crazy, oh right? My goodness. So, but then, you know, when I started realizing like, you know, I'm not going to wear these dresses again, but like someone else might. And then I started thinking like, well, why did I buy them in the first place? That's like what let me down the the rabbit hole of doing a dollar per use. I love that rule. I'm going to take that rule. I I never heard it put that way. It's like, it costs $22. Are you going to wear it 22 times? It's so simple to apply it. And Mm -hmm. so it's, I mean, now I know why I saw it on Instagram. People were talking about the $1 rule because it's so (laughs) easy. It's easy. It's it's catchy and it's effective in helping you really be intentional about your spending. I really yes. love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. And, and it's driven me because when I will, I'll admit, I still have a bit of a shoe addiction and like a handbag addiction, but like now <laughs> I go for, you know, shoes or whatever that like are not like way, you know, like I'm going to wear them more often. Right. So. Yes. Quality over quantity. Love it. Love it. All right, girl. Well, I'd like to wrap up the show. First of all, this has been amazing. I love having a chance to one-on-one talk with you. This is so awesome. And I always like to end the show with um, a money mantra or a money message that you want to share. So what, what I do when I post it and to promote the episode, I create like a little dollar bill and I put your money mantra over the dollar bill with your image so people know that was oh. your message. So you'll see it on Instagram. I'll tag you and everything. But the idea is really like, it's kind of like this, this one message that applies to all the money decisions that you're going to make. It's the key mantra that should drive your financial thinking and decision-making. So for you, what would that money message or money mantra or money motto be for people? Yeah, I think this is, this is where I, my head has been at um, in the last couple of months. And it's, uh, it's basically the, the, the question I keep asking myself is, am I living my legacy, not like leaving a legacy. So a lot of people talk about like, oh, what will happen after you like Hi. die? I'm like, no, am I doing stuff right now that is related to my legacy? And that's a question I've asked all of my clients. Are you currently living your legacy? Yeah. And, you know, money is a big piece of it. And, and the, here's the catch of it is that, um, you know, people aren't going to talk about your stocks or like your net worth or, you know, you know, all those things, like when they talk about your life, but they will talk about the things that you did with your money. And so that's where a lot of the focus for me has been is like less about the money itself and more about what are we doing with it that makes, you know, and creates our legacy. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. I love that so much because I always hear that, like leave, leaving a legacy. So just switching that syllable, right? Living the legacy. Do, what are you doing now to make sure that everything isn't just what you're leaving behind? It's what you're living through right now that you're doing today that creates impact. You don't have to, impact doesn't have to be something you leave behind in the future. It's something that you're creating and living right now. And being mm-hmm. impactful in people's lives can be, can be done so many ways. So it just pushes mm-hmm. you to get creative about how and how you're using your money to create impact too, which is so mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, not to push, and not to push it off, yeah. Right. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to be posting that dollar bill. And for everybody who doesn't already follow you on Instagram or any of the other social spaces where you post content or following you to be able to support you and and maybe even take some of your courses, where can people find you online? 
Sure. So you can find my website at crushyourmoneygoals.com. And then on all social media, I'm at Bernadette Joy, spelled with the word debt in it. Love it. Bernadette, D-E-B-T, Joy. Love it. Well, I'm definitely going to link in the show notes to all of those uh, places on social media so you all can follow her. And thank you so much, Bernadette, for joining us. I love your story. I love your passion, your energy. I don't believe you that you're an introvert. I mean, I believe you, but I just, it's hard to believe. I get extroverted vibes. (laughs) I'm, I'm an introvert in like extroverts, like clothing. That's I'll, I'll yeah. put it that way. <laughs> extrovert skin, but introvert yeah. inside. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Love. It was great talking to you and I'll connect with you again soon. Thank you for having me. 